If you have a Bible, open it up and, or power it on and look to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, it's in the New Testament. And I'm going to forewarn you, man, I'm ready to preach this weekend. <laughs> Come on now. This last service was a lot of fun. And I, I'll tell you that I believe God is on the move in the life of our church. And if you are brand new, man, we say this every weekend, that we're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That we believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. And I'm going to share with you the heart of that in this message this morning. Our mission statement as a church is we exist to see people far from God, discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. And that discipleship process is something we put a lot of time and energy in. It's why if you're new or you've never been through the Rooted Experience, Wednesday night starting September 5th, 11 weeks long, you could still sign up at the Connect Center. It's your first step in discipleship here at the church. You got to do it, man. Whether you've been a Christian for decades, you're brand new to it. And when you go through Rooted, our desire then would be that you get connected eventually into an outpost, the community on mission in our church. You continue to grow in your faith and discipleship in that space, and that one day, years from now, maybe even get in a one-year discipling relationship when you meet somebody you'd like to be discipled by, and then they teach you how to disciple others. Like, it's the fulcrum for everything we do as a church is discipleship. However, we can quickly glance over the first part of our mission statement that we exist to see people far from God become passionate followers of Jesus. And this morning's message is all about that. Are you ready to dive into Luke chapter 19, church? Mm -hmm. Come on now. It says this beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now we mentioned last weekend that the tax collectors were not thought of fondly in the Jewish culture, and I'll explain why more in a moment, but we want to point out that he was actually the chief tax collector, and the Greek term there literally means he was like in charge of all of the other tax collectors. He was the dude. And so what I want to share with you in this passage is that you get to see just a glimpse of the compassion that Jesus has for people who are far from God. And as we shared last weekend that we have this vision to send people out to start four campuses that become four separate churches and everything I shared in that video, and that we want to raise the level of compassion in our church, which I thought there was a lot already, it's going to require us to love the Zacchaeuses in our lives. What would that look like? Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short... He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, this passage isn't new to many of you who grew up in church, right? You knew he was a wee little man. Wee little man, was he? And that in this passage, uh, Jesus is going to go and love on him and go hang out with him. But I wonder if you read this with fresh eyes, because I just taught on this just about a year ago. But I thought if we're going to talk about compassion... We have to look at how Jesus actually exemplified this. And there is a reason that many people don't do it, because it's kind of hard. And you can be worried about what people think about you. But we can't have 100% grace and 100% truth at the same time. Look, he goes on. When Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. I love this. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. You can hear it today, can't you? You you hung out with who? So here's what I want you to do really quickly. I I want you to put your, I know it's going to be hard for some of you, put your judgmental Christian brain on for just a second. Can you put that judgmental hat on? Some of you, this is actually going to be really easy. But put that judgmental Christian hat on for just a moment. And I want you to think about someone or several people in your life who you know are far from God. Come on now, think about it right now. The Zacchaeuses in your life who are really, really far from God. That's who Jesus is demonstrating his love is for in this passage. And when other people are muttering, he doesn't care. And he he goes up to him and says, so, uh, verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of the sinner. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, or behold in the old English, I love that. Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 5, 6 to 8, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, this pause, and we acknowledge that right now in this space, uh, none of us are perfect, and we all fall short of the glory of you, Lord. But we also know that some of us have discovered a relationship with you, And we've grown, and hopefully we become more like the person you intend us to be. So we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us right now. We pray that you would use us, use our time together, use this church. For some of us, we are here, and we are just searching out what we believe. We are atheists or agnostic, or when we talk about being far from you, we're not sure if we have a relationship with you. So God, wherever we're at spiritually, may your Holy Spirit that is present with us minister to us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Aren't we all just desiring acceptance in life? Like, I've been doing ministry for a long time now, and I find that every human being, we all long for acceptance in some way. And I find it strange that in our culture today, we think we can only accept somebody if we agree 100% with what, what someone else thinks. Like, that's not acceptance. But what Jesus demonstrates in this passage is how to actually have compassion for another human being right where they are. But the truth is, most of us, the Zacchaeuses in this world, we don't desire for people to know who we truly are, do we? Because we're afraid what they might think. And it's so funny how this works. This literally happened to me last night. So I knew I was going to preach this, and I'm going to you know, share a story here in a second. But like, my parents are uh, in their 70s, and they are in that retired state of life. And, you know, they don't have anybody in the house. They don't have to work anymore. And so they are on, like, permanent vacation. Who looks forward to permanent vacation? 
Yeah, come on now. Some of you already on permanent vacation? Come on, we're going to celebrate that. I can't wait. My parents are there, and they will, they will call me sometimes in ways they didn't used to do. I don't know if this is you and you contact your kids or your grandkids. They will contact me at like 11.30 at night on a school night. I'll be like, Mom and Dad, it's time to grow up a little bit. Some of us got stuff to do tomorrow. And they, uh, <laughs> my parents are amazing, by the way, and I love them if you're uh, watching online, Mom and Dad. Uh, they, they text me late last night and said, hey, we're thinking about coming to church tomorrow and coming over to the house right afterwards. Now, I love my parents, and the answer is a thousand percent yes. Anytime, I think it's a blessing from the Lord that I get to hang out with them. Well, we love them hanging out with the grandkids. It's awesome. But you know what I thought of first? Those dishes need to clean, man. Come on now. And I thought of, see, I've been working like six-day weeks, and I protect that Sabbath day on Friday. Don't you dare try and call me. I won't answer. And I've been working really hard. And my wife, she's finishing the, with the team the second issue of the Multiply magazine coming out really soon. And then she's been working on our next steps for some of these facility things that could really be happening. And you're going to hear all the details at the dinners. And it's an exciting time. And we're working like crazy. It's almost like church planting all over again. We love it. But when they emailed us or or text me, all I could think about was because of all that stuff, our house is a complete disaster. But I don't want to tell my parents that. It's like some of you rookie husbands and wives out there I've shared this story before. You have been out just hanging out. Maybe you're at the soccer field on a Saturday morning. Maybe you're out uh, on a Friday night or you're hanging out with somebody on a Thursday afternoon. You meet somebody, a friend you haven't seen in a while. And like, hey, Brian, what's up? Nothing. What's up with you? I don't know. We don't hang out enough. We should totally hang out. Yeah, we should. And then here's what I would do because I was an immature rookie husband. Yeah, we should. Like, why don't we do it right now? Why not? The Lord makes time for people. We should too. And then I'd be like, it'll be fun. Let's just head there right now. And then I call my wife. I'd be like, hey, honey, I just ran into Brian. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I was saying the same thing. We should totally hang out with them too. I invited him over. We'll be there in 10 minutes. The words on the other end, I cannot share in church right now. And naturally, because I'm a good Christian, I respond, oh yeah, honey, I'm excited too. Can't wait to see you. Be there in 10. Click. Come on, you rookies. You've done it. And by the time we get home, the dirty dishes have been thrown under the beds and in the closets. Febreze sprayed everywhere. Candles are lit. Kenny G is playing. My wife's wearing an apron. Right? But that's not us. That's not how we live. Why do we do it? Because we're afraid of what people will think about us. Think of what it's like to be Zacchaeus every day. No one in the town likes you. Right? Because I shared last weekend, the tax collectors, they would take some off the top. Some went to the Roman government, but they also robbed. And that was from your friends and your family. Your grandmother on Social Security was robbed by Zacchaeus and his team of thugs so that he could live up in the hills and have an infinity pool and look down on you. How many of you are excited to show some compassion to Zacchaeus? No. No. So let's not say that this kind of stuff is easy. There's a reason we don't show compassion. And I want to take what we discussed last weekend a step further. 
to say, I'm going to give you just three uh, biblical principles of demonstrating compassion in your life. Just three principles from Luke chapter 19. And, and the second point, I'm actually going to share some other scripture to, to take a little pause there to talk about the significance of this. But the first point I'd like to make, if you're taking notes, is that if you're going to demonstrate compassion, you actually have to be a friend to sinners. You have to be a friend to sinners. Think about what Jesus does here. He's, he's just walking through Jericho. He's the leading candidate for the Messiah in that day. He's walking through town. Everybody is crowding around him. Everyone, right? And Zacchaeus goes up into the tree, most likely for a couple of reasons. We know the obvious one. He was not a tall human, and so he couldn't see but I also got to wonder a little bit if he wanted to get up in that tree because the leading candidate for Messiah is coming to town. What if I buddy up with this guy? Maybe I could finally find somebody that can right? And like he sees and he's looking down and Jesus stops and pauses. And the one person in town, all the religious leaders are around him. And he says, hey, I want to hang out with you. Let's go have dinner together. And, and then everybody mutters, right? I he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house. Are you serious? Like all the people he could have selected, doesn't he know how much I give? Doesn't he know how much I study the Torah? Like, you know, all of these thoughts would come to their mind. And he says, I want to hang out with you. And it's the thing that will radically change Zacchaeus' life. It's the level of compassion that Jesus has in this passage for him. Jesus isn't just about saying we as Christians should be happy. Yes, we can have joy in Christ and we should live for him. But we also have to live in a way for the people who are addicts in our culture, who are crooks and criminals, the people who are truly far from God, the ones who gossip behind your back, the ones who are always angry in your life. You thought of a few of them already that Jesus had compassion even for them. Now let's stop right there. Because I want to make very clear, accepting someone does not mean you agree with everything in their life. Jesus doesn't go up to Zacchaeus because he thinks, oh, I'm really glad you're robbing this town. I fully support that, so I'd like to have a political dinner so I can demonstrate my full support for you. No! He doesn't think it's good that Zacchaeus is robbing people. He thinks it's good to go and invest and hang out and to see his life changed. When we minister and we hang out with people who are far from God, it doesn't mean that we accept or approve all of the things in their life. We have to hold the biblical truth that there is a reason that God writes in Scripture how to live our lives so that we could be, become more holy and become people who God could truly use to change this world because we look more like God would want us to look. But all of us are going to fall short of that, and there's only one who was perfect, and it was Jesus. And so we want to point people to him. I find it really interesting. Saul, who becomes Paul in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, doesn't have it occur because all of the Christians were angry and yelled at him and told him all the bad stuff he had done. They had life change because he encountered Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, that's what transformed his life. And you know what Jesus says to Saul, who becomes Paul, right after that? Saul had been overseeing the killing of Christians, as we recently discussed. He says, repent. This beautiful thing. Repent and change your ways. See, there's a reason we say we're a hospital for sinners and not a morgue for sinners. Like, we don't want people who are broken and hurting just to come here and spiritually die. We are to find healing, to get healthy spiritually. 
that was, we often say you should come as you are, but don't stay there. Every single one of us is on this journey of growing more in our faith. So when Jesus goes and he sees Zacchaeus and he beelines it over there, it's not because he wants Zacchaeus to keep robbing people. It's because he wants to love him right where he is, that he truly is a friend for, of sinners. And it's in verse 8 that we see the shocking announcement that Zacchaeus makes. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, he said, and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've robbed, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times as much. I will give back everything. I won't live to this idol of my financial portfolio anymore, Zacchaeus says. I won't keep cheating and hurting and robbing people because now I'm going to follow you. You see, when you encounter Jesus, life change eventually will occur. I find it interesting, though, some are immediate and some are over a long period of time. Saul doesn't begin any of his missionary journeys for well over a decade after coming to faith. We don't know how long that transformation takes. Sometimes it takes patience, but we have to befriend people right where they are. And if we're going to genuinely see people that have their lives changed to make a wake of impact around the state, as we have prayed from day one, that a million people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is less than 7 million people in the state. Did you know that? But I believe if we make the vision big enough, we will no longer think it's just on us to accomplish something, that God could use other people in our lives. It will force us to not just think about how we make Mercy Road bigger and bigger. It will force us to do things like plant other churches through Multiply Indiana, like plant other churches through Mercy Road Church. These four campuses will become four separate churches that they in the, in the, of themselves one day will multiply as well. Within five years, we will go, hey, here's the keys to everything. It's all yours. Go live on mission together. But we have to be known more for our sending capacity than their seating capacity. We have to be friends, sinners, and believe God can change their lives. Amen? See, here's the thing. I've shared this story before, but when I first got into ministry, I was leading a young adult uh, group in Southern California, and it was growing a lot. We were seeing people far from God come to faith. And there was this one guy, after like two or three years, he had just been transformed. He'd given his life to Christ there. I believe he'd been baptized there. But a few years earlier, he had done something really bad, like really bad. And he had spent a little time in jail. And there was this one person who was on our team that saw and heard that knew that this guy several years ago had made a really bad decision. And he said, hey, I don't think this person should lead anything in our church because he made this really bad decision several years ago. And so I think he should be excluded from ever doing ministry here. Some of you have heard me share this before. And I looked at him and I said, that type of life change is exactly what we're trying to do. And if you in any way would impede that, this is not the place for you. Because see, that guy, he had repented, he had transformed, he had served just faithfully doing anything, not trying to glorify himself, but just to reach more people for Christ. And then we had given him this little leadership role in this one small area as kind of a next step in his faith. And do you know that guy today is still following Jesus, married an awesome Christian woman, and is worshiping on a weekly basis at a great church in Oregon, still living out his faith. And that other individual left the ministry within a few weeks. And I, I'm not sure what, what happened with him today. 
And so I share that with you. I don't think this guy was a bad person for thinking that we needed to take seriously this poor decision. We should certainly do that. But we have to allow people to change. We have to. We cannot follow Jesus and not. Zacchaeus will become a follower of Jesus and have his life transformed. He will give up everything away, do things that most Christians today would never do. And the New Testament is full of stories like that. So if we don't believe that people can genuinely change through the grace and compassion of Jesus, and that doesn't mean that we just aren't going to speak truth into their life. Yes, when we earn the right, we're going to have to correct. We have to calibrate grace and truth 100% all together at the same time. But we have to live in a way that we are meeting people right where they are. The second point I want to make very quickly is that we have to avoid the destruction of this mission of compassion in people's lives. It's so easy to allow it to come into our churches. It would have been so easy to just listen to the muttering people that day. Oh, yeah, they're going to befriend sinners. Mm-hmm. Know what kind of place that is. Going to go hang out up there at that place of idolatry. Right? And we very quickly can make all kinds of judgments of people. Acts chapter 15, verse 19 It says, in my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning to God. Uh, We're going to get to baptize, I believe, another Robin. Yeah, girl. Uh, She's going to be getting baptized today. And and you gave your life to Christ like uh, six months ago. Is that right? At Easter, somewhere around there? Yeah. And so she's going to be getting baptized today. How cool is that? And She's been serving out on our hospitality team in a variety of different areas. That's why we do what we do. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, Paul here in this passage, he's talking to this church in Corinth that was doing some really bad things, and he was correcting it. And, And I think that we should do that within the church today. But one of those things that I'd like to apply this passage to is when we don't live out the compassion that Jesus demonstrates in the Bible, that the enemy loves to be divisive. And I have seen in seasons like this, and we haven't had this happen at all. I've heard people get really amazingly positive about starting four campuses and raising all of these funds. But it's during seasons like this where it's really easy for the enemy to go, no, do we really need to do that? And we begin to ask, and look, we're not the group think place. You can ask any question. We will show you anything you want to know. Uh, September 9th and 16th, we're having a Q&A about all of that stuff. Come out. I'll meet with you personally, whatever you want to know. We're an open book. But because we're an open book, that means that for each of us, we can't allow the enemy to begin to get divisive because you realize that there were 272 people that worshiped out at Geist this weekend because we took a risk out there. And at least probably 100 of those people have never, may never step foot in this facility. I was there to kick it off. I saw it. And if one person comes to faith in Jesus, it's worth it. It's worth it. That's why we do what we do. I could care less if one day we send everybody out and my wife and I stay at this location. I don't know if that will happen or not, but and there's 50 people left and we start from scratch all over again. I, we're not in this to try and build any type of egos. I don't need people to preach to. I believe that God provides those things. We just want to see people reach people for Christ because we're all dying. And there are plenty of Zacchaeuses in our lives right now, and they need us. 
They need us. But yet for many of us, we get distracted by all these little things. I've seen it in churches before. Praise God, we have not had this. We literally have not had this in our church. But I'm reminded of Augustine. It says, in essentials, unity, in doubtful matters, liberty, in all things, charity. That we should major on the major and minor on the minors. Obviously, salvation issues, the first seven councils of the early church for the theologians out there. Like all those things we got to agree on, right? But we can also agree to disagree on some of these minor things. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, uh, 10 and 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its powers. We major on the majors and we minor on the minors. And the reason that we do that is because there are people dying spiritually and churches spend decades bickering over all of these silly, ridiculous things. And if you don't believe it, just study the history of Christianity. And I don't believe that had anything to do with Jesus or the power of the gospel or the Bible. I believe the enemy loves to creep in and steal and kill and destroy. He loves to be destructive to the mission of reaching more people for Christ. I told you I was going to preach today. Let's see, as we close out, I've got one more point. I want to show you this video. It, oh, it is a power, powerful video. Just really powerful. Excellent hair in this video. And I want to show this to you because our vision has always been to reach as many people for Christ as possible and that it would never revolve around one person. And that from day one, we wanted to start a network of churches that would change the course of human history in the state of Indiana. Uh, I believe this was filmed before I even moved to Indiana. Let's watch this together. Hi, welcome to Indianapolis, Indiana, home of the Indianapolis Colts and the quarterback Peyton Manning. I'm currently standing here in the center of Indianapolis in Monument Circle. Over the course of the next few minutes, I want to introduce you to the city of Indianapolis and the new network of churches we plan to plant here called Mercy Road Church. We hope to not just plant one church on the north side. Our goal is to begin to plant a network of churches within the first few years here in Indianapolis. Hey, it's Josh and Lisa. And I'm most excited about the relationships that we're going to build here with people. And I think I'm most excited just to be where God wants us. God called us here. We're excited to serve the city of Indianapolis and the surrounding areas. Please pray for us on this journey. Love you guys. We fade that out. Isn't that, that hair though, come on now. That's special. We're gonna talk a little bit. But from day one, and somebody reminded me of that because I didn't realize it was still on YouTube. We filmed that before we even moved here. We're living in California. And from day one, our vision has been to see this occur. And now, almost seven years in, we, we're there. We're there where we could actually send people out that you in this room right now could change the course of human history to show compassion to one more person who shows it to one more person that could genuinely change your sphere of influence in this world. It's what Jesus demonstrated. The third and final point is not a new one to us as a church, but it's an important reminder that we must invest in our oikos, in your oikos. You see, your oikos in the Bible, uh, I'm going to give you a quote here from Tom Mercer. He wrote a book called Oikos, but it's the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence in the New Testament. It says, 
Oikos, the Greek word for extended family, encompasses our relational worlds. Anywhere from 8 to 15 people on average whom God is supernaturally and strategically placed in our spheres of influence. And if those relationships frame our primary evangelistic targets, then that reality must form our primary ministry strategies for the church. Open up your program for a second. There should have been a, a bookmark card that says Oikos at the top of it. And as we close out the service together, I love during these last couple songs of worship, if God leads you to begin to pray for anybody in your sphere of influence, it's the Greek word for household, that you would begin to write their names down on that sheet right now. No matter how far from God they are, no matter where they're at spiritually, this is actually how Mercy Road got started. Just a few people meeting in our house, writing these names down that the Lord laid on their heart and beginning to see them come to faith. It's incredible what God still does. It doesn't just happen 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. It still happens today. It's why we're all here together. It's why Robin's getting baptized today. And I believe that God may have strategically placed the people in your life that he's calling you to be like Jesus was. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. He says, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to go over. We're going to go have dinner together and hang out. I want to get to know you, who you are. You don't have to fake it with me. You can be real. Don't have to do the dishes. I don't even care. Let's hang out. I don't want to get the real dirt on you, what's really going on in your life. And then I just want to be your friend and to pray for you. And it's amazing what God will do over time. And as you build that relationship, you earn the right to speak into that person's life. They will start coming to you and going, hey, hey I want to know, tell me more about this. He would never raise his hand, but I saw Dave Rothenberg right over here. What we meet for three years? Three years we had conversations in my office where he wasn't yet a professed faith in Jesus and then got baptized a year ago right over here and led a, a mission trip up to Detroit and is very active in the life of our church. That's just one of many stories in our church family. What would that look like for you? You see, in the New Testament, it's full of people like the demon-possessed man who was healed by Jesus or Zacchaeus that we just read about that Jesus beelines it over to him or the royal official who had a dying son who will be healed or the tax collector named Matthew who will have his life transformed centurion named Cornelius, right, that sees a miracle happen, or Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman who comes to faith because Paul had a dream to go to Macedonia, and she comes to faith and starts a church in her house in Philippi and changes the course of human history in that one city, or the unemployed jailer in Philippi who will come to faith because of the compassion that Paul shows him. They were all sent. You know what happens to every single one of those people? When they discover the compassion of Jesus, they are sent back to their oikos. They're 8 to 15 to do the very thing with them that someone demonstrated to them to begin with. That now, if you know the compassion of Jesus, you surrender your life to him, you now live on mission with him to go back and demonstrate that compassion to other people. It is a beautiful thing that has gone on for over 2,000 years. And I know you've heard about Christians and all of the religious zealots and about how they are judgmental that we made jokes about earlier and how they are always this thing politically and all of that. 
look, I want to tell you I believe in the truth of Scripture. I believe we need to stand behind it. I believe God still speaks to us today. But I want to let you know that the God that's in that New Testament is the one that loves you and pursues you and pursues you and pursues you and will never give up. And the greatest example of the compassion you, we should have together as Christians today is Jesus. He lived three years of active ministry and he is rewarded for healing people and proclaiming the coming kingdom of God by being nailed to a cross where he will suffocate to death in front of his friends and family. And with his last breaths on the cross, he will be yelling out that, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. John chapter 19, to tell us thy, it's paid in full. That with his last breath, he says, your sins and mine are paid in full. So that anybody, if they repent this beautiful word, we say, God, forgive me for what I've done with my life. I receive your compassion and mercy and grace. Anybody can draw near to him. You can have eternal life in heaven one day and you can experience him in your life now that you could become a world changer to show that same compassion for others. That if you and I are going to be followers of Jesus, if you don't love the Zacchaeus in the world, you're not really following him. Because that's how he lived. And it takes that depth of compassionate mission for us to see everything we've shared with you for the vision of our church actually occur. So as we close in prayer, I'm going to invite those who are Christians to do something and those who maybe God has been speaking to in the room that you just thought Christians just wanted to tell you how bad of a person you are and you can hear the compassionate Heavenly Father that has been pursuing you since the beginning of time, I want to give all of us a chance to respond. Will you pray with me? God, there are some of us right now who we know our life is not right with you. We have run from you. We've been afraid of you. Like Zacchaeus, we have felt outcasted by Christians. And yet you beeline it over to us. You say, I want to hang out with you. Let's go have dinner together. I don't care what people think. If that's you in the room right now and you'd like to receive the, the invitation of Jesus to start a relationship with him, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. And I receive your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness because of your crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus. And on this day, August 26, 2018, I surrender my life to you fully. May you use me. And then for some of us as Christians, maybe you need to begin to pray that rather being so self-focused, we would be concerned about those around us that we are encounter on a weekly or daily basis and begin to pray for them and write their names on a connect card, a Oikos card, and begin to minister to them. God, if that's us right now, may you give us people that we, we just couldn't shake from our minds, that we would pray for them every day, that we would put that card in a place we would remember it in our Bible or on a refrigerator, God, and not because we think we're better than the people who are on that card, but because we've experienced your grace and we want them to as well. God, we pray that you would use us to change their lives, to become the people you created them to be, to demonstrate the type of compassion we just read about. We surrender our sphere of influence to you fully, Lord Jesus, and love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.